Ladies and gentlemen, I am very, very excited to be here with Fiona Hine or Fiona Rose Diamond. Which is it? Either or. Lots of people know me as Fiona Rose Diamond. And it's an interesting one because people think that I changed my name to avoid something early in 2020. But actually, it was when I was probably a little bit tipsy a couple of years before because I had a bit of a stalker who found me on Facebook. So one night after a couple of glasses of wine, I decided to change my name on Facebook to try and throw him off the scent. Um, and yeah, Fiona Rose Diamond, because lots of people, because I worked for British Airways for all, I got called an English Rose. And then Diamond, because diamonds are solid. So it, it there was something behind it, but it was way before any of this COVID stuff or when I was, you know, you know wanted by the police and whatnot. So nothing to do with that. Yeah, well before you turned into a full-time extremist. Extremist, yeah. They're definitely trying to make me out to be that now, aren't they? Or have done for with many of us for the last couple of years. But mm. activist, social activist, yes. Yeah, so that's the that's the one question I had for you. If anyone hasn't seen it, I made a 20-minute video about Fiona and everything she's done over the last two or so years, because I think it's amazing. But the question I have for you is, how on earth were you so well poised to like take to the streets on day one and be so active in the front of this charge? How did you know this was such a big problem as soon as it happened? Like, why were you so ready for this? I, t it's, it's, I suppose, you know, I don't really want to call myself like an anarchist or anything, but I've always been very, very sceptical. And with growing up with my mother, she's a very, very strong woman. Um, she always taught me not to believe everything I heard on the BBC. You know, it was we only had a couple of news channels when I was growing up. It was BBC and ITV and that was it. Um, and then we got cable and then we got Sky and she always watched Al Jazeera and RT. And it was just, you know, through conversation with my mum to sort of be a you know critical thinker and be sceptical. And critical thinking is something that they used to teach effect effectively in university. I don't think they do that anymore. Uh, it's more indoctrination, I think. But I was always very sceptical. You know, my mother's very, you know, she's pro-Palestinian and I am as well. I think it's why it frustrates me sometimes with some of the slurs we hear. Um, but yeah, just being naturally sceptical. But I lost my father in December 2019. So just before it all kicked off with the with the COVID stuff, he was ill for some time and I cared for him uh, for a couple of years. And my dad was very much the same. Um, he would always talk about the fact that we didn't live in a democracy. He was very intelligent, my dad. He was a veteran as well. Um, and whilst, you know, he's Welsh, he wouldn't call himself like a patriot necessarily because of, I believe, you know, how corrupt our own government is and how we're not living in a democracy. And they always seem to want to be in a state of perpetual war. So it's a combination of all those things just sort of growing up in, you know, my teens. And I always had a little bit of an issue with authority and being told what to do, not by my parents, but more so teachers in school. I didn't necessarily misbehave, but I wanted to know why. Why do I need to do this? And why do I need to do that? Even from a very young age. Um, and then I watched Event 201. Um, somebody sent that to me whilst I was clearing out my dad's flat after he passed away. And I only had my phone and I was on it constantly. And I saw the news coming out of China um, and I just immediately thought there's something not right here. Um, and I did start watching a lot on the BBC, even though usually I'd stay away from kind of mainstream news. It just infuriates me. But I don't like to live in a bubble as if it's not happening. So 
yeah, I was just really skeptical from from day one. Um, after watching Event 201, you kind of connect that dot, I think, anyway, if you're a critical thinker. Um, and it kind of went from there. And, you know, I used to go down to the local pub and have conversations. There was a pharmacist down there and I learned about hydroxychloroquine before we were even locked down with it after a very interesting conversation with just some random person in the pub. And they were saying, well, they could say we're already talk talking about vaccines very early on. Um, but I also read the Coronavirus Act. So before we went into lockdown, I think it was about 365 pages. And I just saw this kind of doomsday, dark, controlled, tyrannical dictatorship that we were going to be living in. Um, and I think from then on, it just made me, I watched UK Column every time it was on. I think it was Monday, Wednesday and Friday at the time. Um, and I watched the 5 p.m. report that started on the BBC every day. And I started writing down the statistics as they were being reported on the BBC, sort of taking photos of the graphs that they were showing. And every week I would com compare that with the ONS statistics. And just looking at that and the inflation, clearly the inflation of the fi the, the figures and the suppression of, of science, essentially, and, and oppose, you know, opposing views and debate, all of it adding up and in a very, very short period of time, you can connect the dots, I I think. And by April, I was out trying to meet other people. I was in Facebook groups. Um, and I think I went down to Parliament relatively incognito because I was not used to it. I was never an activist before. I'd never, ever been to a protest. So it was quite new to me. Um, and then in May, I went to a mass gathering or a mass picnic um, as it at the time in Hyde Park. But I'd seen in the mainstream media that before that happened, it was reported to be a far right group organizing it. And I looked and I thought, well, no, it's not, because I've seen it, you know, I've got the poster, I saw it on Lockdown Skeptics, which was just a Facebook group, and only had about 100 people in at the time. And anyway, I turned up and it, it wasn't so much a picnic. I did take sandwiches, but I didn't sit down and eat them because I saw a massive police presence. And there was, they massively outnumbered us. Um, and again, I wasn't used to it. So I just kind of unrolled my sign and sort of stood there and chatted to people. I was with a, a lady from the Lockdown Skeptics group that came from up north uh, and met me in London that day. And, and I just, I was listening to people. There was people sort of speaking. Piers Corbyn was there. I'd never met him before. Um, and I kind of it started to realise more and more that there's other people thinking the same thing as me because the first three months, I thought I was crazy. I was going through this, what we probably know now as this awakening, confirming that our government don't care about us. And there's something a lot more sinister going on than than I think I even realised, uh, even having been quite sceptical. Um, and then I was arrested and charged for gathering in a group of more than two. And I thought then, I just thought, did they do that to deter me from anything? They seemed to target people that had signs um, not so much the people that were just kind of milling around. Um, and it just spurred me on. I thought this, you know, there's something going on. Mm. And yeah, went from there. Yeah, I mean, there's two halves to the question. One is like, how were you so ready in terms of the information and understanding what was going on? But the other half is is courage and the fact that you just don't stop from what I've seen. Um 
and and I want I I guess I don't need to know where that comes from. But was it when you got arrested that first time? It kind of changed something in you, and you're like, right, I'm angry now. Yeah, and I'll be honest, I I'm not. You know, I've like I said, I've always questioned authority, and I've never been. I've got a bit of a potty mouth, and I've 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 had run-ins with the police throughout. You know, my time at university, and I thought I'm I'm independent, and I'm fierce. And I've, I've been in trouble before, you know, I've been arrested for swearing at a police officer um, who kind of egged me on to swear. This is back in my early 20s. Um, but I'm not a big fan of the police. I'm, I'm just not. I think that from in, in they're they're corrupt entirely to for the for the police to actually work, in my opinion, there might be a few good guys in there. And I think having spoken to a few over the last few years, there are. Um, but the system itself is completely broken. And having been through it a little bit, I've been through court, I've I'd been arrested and I genuinely didn't want to be told by a guy on the streets who did not know anything about science. He did not know anything about why he was even enforcing these rules, these, you know, mandates, as they called them, apparently were law at the time, like masking and everything. And I just if I'm told by a police officer that I have to do something, it makes me want to do it even more or not do it. But if they're telling me not to do something, you know, I'm just like, right, I must do that now because clearly what I'm doing is the right thing. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think as as far as courage goes, I've never been worried about what people will think about me. Um, I've never had such extreme sort of online sort of trolling though. Um, and it, it gets to you a little bit, but I've never really been that fussed about what people's opinion is of what I believe and what I'm doing. And I think everyone's entitled to their opinion. Um, but the, the courage side of things, I'm just, people say I'm a bit ballsy, but my mum's a firecracker and I'm like my mother. There's also, there's not much of a choice, is there? I think some of the stuff I, I've done gets called brave, but it's like, you don't really have a choice. Don't I really have I think option? that's it as well. And there's some people, I think just, I mean, a lot of us actually, and a lot of people that even attend these protests, they might not necessarily organise one, but they, people that come along were being brave because they knew that we were through 2020 and 2021, we were breaching these COVID restrictions and everyone was brave enough to come out and risk being arrested or even, you know, when they're transported, you know, people was held on a coach, I believe in November of 2020, I think it was November, 2020 and their coach was stopped and they were arrested. And that case I know has now been dropped, but people, I think everyone was brave right at the beginning. And I look at a lot of the people that spoke out very, very early on who have obviously been massively discredited scientists and doctors I'm talking about they're truly, truly brave because they did lose everything mm. um, very early on. And they just kept going with being discredited in the mainstream media, slandered, you know, defamed, ridiculed. Um, and I think knowing that you're doing the right thing is what reassures me that the temporary hate and the the temporary jail time I think the most I spent in there was nearly three sort of days um, in in custody. Um, but it kind of, when you know that you're doing the right thing, there's something about the fact that, because I know that this is a humanitarian crisis, if I wasn't doing it, the guilt I would feel um, would, it, it outweighs any fear, I think. 
Yeah, I've kind of like I've done a lot, um, as I said in the video that I made about you. But what I've done yeah. is I've also like surrounded myself with people who are doing more. So I constantly feel like I'm not doing enough. Um, and it's and it's great to watch because it does it does lift you up. Um, like before we move on to what we're what we're doing in January, can you can you talk about when the when the feel changed? Because I remember those protests at the end of 2020. That was when I first started going to a few of them, like the Trafalgar Square one. I think was the first thing I went to, and they got increasingly dark because of the police brutality and stuff. But then. By the spring, by the time we had those massive ones, those were some of the most joyous things I've ever attended in my entire life. And do you think that was down to just the numbers hit a critical mass and and they couldn't intimidate us anymore? Just describe that sort of that period and that flow. I think I mean, the very first one that I was involved in organising was the first Unite for Freedom in August of 2020 in Trafalgar Square. And everything I'd done prior. So going back to my first arrest in May of 2020 in Hyde Park, I obviously bonded with the other people that were arrested, like Jeff Wyatt, who we've lost now. Um, he passed away. Um, a loss of a real warrior there as well, because Jeff was very, very strong and, and very, very intelligent. Um, and it's the first time I met, you know, Piers Corbyn and the group that he worked with. Um, and doing that, you know, wor working with these people that all just sort of naturally came together because we had this bond over fighting against what we knew was we were being lied to being gaslighted being manipulated that was the conversation at the beginning um but that first rally just my goodness that confirmed the numbers that turned out for that rally it was just like wow okay we're totally not alone I felt like I was crazy in the first several months you know talking to my mother about it and reading excerpts from the the coronavirus legislation um and thinking am I mad but no I'm not mad and then that kind of reaffirms it and you meet so many people so we carried on going and yes you're right by spring of 2021 um the 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 it changed from sort of anger I think again with the police brutality because that almost stopped didn't it early in in 2021 we still saw a bit of it uh throughout that year but nothing like we saw at the end of of 2020 that was horrific and into January and February that they that was it, the politicized policing was unbelievable and it confirms again they are targeting us and what we're saying they don't want free speech because and then 2021 we saw the difference between the policing with um oh no 2020 sorry was it 2020 or 21 george floyd it was and blm 20 that's what's so crazy about it is blm everyone like my cousins who you know were a full hook line and sinker for the narrative went out to the george floyd protests to take a knee and they went to the sarah everard ones but they complied with every rule and i and what what was really frustrating for me was like i I didn't want to comply with the rules, but I essentially had no option because there's nothing open. There's no way of going and seeing anyone. I am just stuck in my house, even if I want to do something about it. And then that happened. And I was just tearing my hair out because I'm mm. like, I've done the right thing when I really don't want to. And now you're going and, and, and doing the wrong thing and telling me I'm a bad guy for even questioning it. It, it, I blew it was it that. 
it was really frustrating to see how we were treated and the difference between how we were treated with the politicized policing and how BLM protests were treated. And a lot of that wasn't protests. I'm sorry, I do believe that everybody has a right to freedom of speech, even if I don't necessarily agree with the cause. It's like, well, when you're going out and peacefully protesting, you know, non-violent direct action, whatever you want to call it, everyone has a right to do that. I don't, there's so many political stances that I don't agree with, but I I, I would fight for that, the right for the those people to be able to do it. But what we saw with BLM was very, very different. Why were they climbing up the cenotaph and setting fire to flags and throwing bikes and beer bottles at horses uh, and kicking them and being it's the violence we saw was off the charts and i did a freedom of, of information request to the metropolitan police because obviously i've been arrested in may a couple of weeks later we saw the you know george floyd um happen that thing in america and then we saw it come here and the anger towards our police now i completely agree there's innate issues you know it, it, within the, the police force, they're corrupt as hell. Um, but with that, the difference in the policing, they said um, Boris Johnson put a tweet out saying that he agrees everybody has the right to protest as long as you do it peacefully. So crack on and protest BLM. Um, but they did not enforce in any way any of the coronavirus legislation. The um, One of the chief commissioners at the time of Scotland Yard, I forget his name, um, actually made a statement, a public statement, obviously, that appeared on the news during the, during the protests, saying that they would not be enforcing any of the coronavirus restrictions at BLM protests. Why? You know, when we'd seen 19 people arrested in Hyde Park out of about 150, 13 of those people were charged. I think eight probably went to court and were convicted. Mm. And yet for gathering in a group of more than two. And it's all this this that spurred us on as well, because you learn about where things are funded from, like BLM and the George Soros connection. And when you start looking into this, you become increasingly sceptical, a lot less trusting. And you just believe more and more that we're being, you know, the government is corrupt inside out, as is the Metropolitan Police Force, I'm sorry to say. <laughs> Well, I think once you've got used to spending time in the kind of protests that I've spent a lot of time with you at, um, you 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 end up with this confidence because it was there was a consensus formed very quickly among people that knew what was going on, and you you almost did the checklist of going, yep, you're aware of the Medazalam situation, you're aware of this, you're aware of that. Everyone knows everything in in our little wing which is which is quite interesting there was this which divide. isn't quite which isn't little anymore i think yeah. this is where people have said you know you know that i stand by the fact that protest absolutely does work because protest doesn't mean just going out and rallying on the street it's taking a stance against something you can protest in so many different ways and you know you stand there with a the yellow board on the side of the road uh, it's take you know taking that stance in disagreement and taking some form of action could be a petition so it does, well, it, when you think about protests in general, it does work. And one of the biggest impacts it had was to show other people that they weren't alone. And I think that's why when we see in the spring of 2021, as you said before, the positivity, like the energy was really different. Everyone was very unified and, and happy despite the potential for being arrested because we were still effectively in some form of lockdown over a two year period. And it was just, it was it was a comfort to a lot of people, I think, to see that. Mm. Um, 
And I watched an interview the other day with Tim Robbins, you know, who'd come over in in early of uh, to come over to London from America. Um, he was compliant. He was doing everything he should do. But then he saw the London protests and he thought, what am I missing? And it was it's amazing to hear people like Tim Robbins, you know, speak about that with Russell Brand. Um, but yeah, it changed it changed up a little bit. But then I I sensed it kind of went, you know, the the anger is always going to be there. The frustration is always going to be there. And I am still angry about what they're doing to us. Um, and there's so many things for us to be angry about, like you've just said, Medazalam. Mm. Um, and without trying to get you banned on any channel, but I think we all know. And if people don't know what that is, go and look at it. And Matt Hancock. Um, but there's so many things that we still need to talk about. There's so many things that they've done to us and breaches of our human rights and our freedom of speech. The online harms bill, the public order bill, the police courts, crimes and sentencing bill, which has passed now. But the public order bill is backing that up. So where are we going to be in a year's time? We will not be able to go out on the streets like we're doing now. And I don't know if we've got a lot of time left if we don't keep protesting and and basically that's an act of defiance in itself is going out to protest and doing what they don't want you to do well to be honest the um i i knew that all of the naysayers that probably i i think people will say like eh, freemason uh, 77th too much but pretty much when i see people saying protest doesn't work i'm like nah that's a tactic because like even just for making me get through this horrible, depressing world event. It was it was the only thing I look forward to. For And I tell you, I, I'm sure millions of people worldwide feel that way, that it helped them get through something that was really tough. They weren't alone. They met people. This, you know, Stand in the Park started. I think it started with one guy standing on his own in Australia, speaking to people and hugging people. And look how that's grown. And there's some amazing things that have happened that are all a, a form of protest and we have had some successes. Now, whether with protests, we've simply stalled a plan, which is what I believe about the vaccine passports. We have not stopped that. That we stopped them being enforced in the way the government had a plan for at the time, you know, and it with G20, we, you know where it's going, Nick. I'm sure most people that are gonna to listen to this know that the, the restrictions on travel via vaccine passports and tracking your carbon footprint is going to be something we see with the climate lockdowns playing out into 2023 and 2024. So we've stalled things and we have made a difference. But the one success I can categorically say I know is because we didn't just sign an online petition is the NHS mandates. And that was last January. The numbers were huge. I gave a platform to NHS 100K because it was on one of our, you know, we've been by that point, we're doing uh, worldwide demonstrations for about a year um, or 10 months at that time. But, you know, I spoke to the one of the leaders of NHS 100K and said, look, do you want to come on board? We've got a, uh, a rally in January. I think it was the 22nd of January, maybe. You know, do you want to do this about mass non-compliance? And obviously non-compliance is not having your vaccine when you're being told to. You know, you don't just because it's still in trials. I mean, there's so many reasons not to. But I went to them and they came on board and we sent we had the numbers even across the UK. I think Birmingham, Manchester and several other locations under worldwide demonstration all supported the NHS um, 100K and the mandates they were facing. And I think they 
the order was to have by the 3rd of Feb or something, at least two doses of uh, of the vaccine. And this was, like I say, 22nd of Jan. And we sent a very strong message in London. It was entirely focused on that one topic. And that's why I think it was so, there was so much strength in it and strength in the message because we really focused on the mandates for the NHS staff and standing for them and with them. Um, and as you probably remember, and people might listen to this as well, we, you know, I'd said to uh, Lilith, who at the time was the leader, of, I think she probably still is, but NHS on a K, I said, you need to do something really strong. And we've kind of got into this thing of, you know, throwing stuff over to number 10. And I said, why don't you throw your uniforms over to, you know, Downing Street, number 10, really strong political statement. There'll be mainstream media coverage. And they were a bit, mm, no, because we might get in trouble, might get fired. So we're just going to put them down, you know, on the fountains of Trafalgar Square. And I said, well, even the fountains of Trafalgar Square, you need to be seeing it. And I said, what about the steps there outside the National Gallery? And then we saw, you know, through the march that they all the uniforms laid down on the steps and then picked up and then thrown over to number 10. It was discussed in Parliament two days later. It was in the mainstream news. It was in print. And I think everybody knows how much of a struggle it is to even get an online one little shitty. Sorry. <laughs> All right. One little, you know, article in in an online grot rag is very hard to, to get any acknowledgement about what we're doing. But it was it really did. And we did make a difference. And three days later, the mandate was overturned. It, it was amazing that one, um, as I've already described the feel of the of the different protests as we went through it. But that one, I can remember feeling the palpable terror that we were only a fortnight away from the people that are leading this march, losing their jobs. Like some of them are really fun and they're a carnival atmosphere and woohoo, we're all freedom. That one, I remember, I remember exactly how tense it was and how much it, it Yeah, because you're doing it and it's great to feel positive and unity and to not be on your own and going through this alone and to, you know, to give a platform to the, I think it was 78,000 unvaxxed NHS workers. And, and saying, oh, my gosh, you know, we're going to come and we're going to work together now. Um, uh, but then going forward, I was it was it was great. And I'm glad that we had some impact through protesting in addition to a petition um, and actually changed something. And I always talk about that one and think the amount of people that we had there, we met outside the BBC and we took it down to Parliament. It was very short, but it was very, very impactful. Um, but then afterwards, obviously, in the spring of that year, it was announced that they'd be vaccinating, you know, five-year-olds. The JCBI had approved five to 12-year-olds to be vaccinated. And it was at that point I thought, we need those NHS workers to come back and start supporting this, you know, the children. And I was just slightly frustrated that we didn't see that, the unity that we'd had, you know. And I'm not saying there's some amazing... NHS workers there's amazing people within that particular group um but what I did see was okay we've solved that problem now let's just leave it to Fiona again and other organizers and groups to you know protest for the children and if we're not if we're doing this for anything in my opinion we're doing it for future generations for the children now so they're not living in 1984. <laughs> well I think this is one of the the things that you and me and people like us leave our heads scratching about is like, how come we had millions on the street and now it's just this little circle that seems to 
lift the weight. But anyway, that was uh, that was last January, and we got to talk about this January because it is very very exciting. Um, what are the goals for this January? Well, January, um, I decided actually in October, um, took a little bit of time, and I thought again looking at the numbers that were it's gotten smaller we got we've had a few lulls where we've seen mass numbers of protests tens of thousands to then you know several thousand which i'm still proud of you know numbers wise and we haven't stopped but i'm looking at it thinking we've got there's one thing i think there's probably more than one but this one very strong unifying issue against a common enemy and uniting the unvaccinated and the vaccinated together to call for a pause, putting it politically, call for a pause of the vaccine to for further testing. My personal view is it should just be stopped. Everyone knows I've been campaigning even before the rollout and made a film with uh, Oracle Films called Ask the Experts the day before the rollout started. So I have a personal opinion but this campaign is is the aim is to give a voice to the injured and bereaved um, and to change the public perception as much as we possibly can. Um, and to go out into the community and inform people who are not aware of the damage that's been done and is still happening um, due to the vaccine. And that's because of the mainstream media suppression and the government narrative that we need to counter. So uniting against this as i say this common enemy um with this sinister agenda i think is obviously a lot wider but we've got the injured and bereaved who are not getting the acknowledgement that they deserve at all and you've got some great groups out there globally that i've been speaking to that are fighting different fights whether it be trying to get you know the vaccine damage payment scheme changed or you know doing different petitions or trying to get it acknowledged in parliament but based on my experience with, you know, the protests last year um, or the rally, I wanted to do both. You know, I wanted to do more than just one thing. So reach the community, do a social media campaign, spend a whole month and dedicate that month to giving a voice to the injured and bereaved and humanizing these statistics. Mm. Because we're seeing all this nonsense, uh, this died suddenly nonsense in the mainstream media. And people can read an article and share a picture of someone and say, isn't this sad? But that person is either has lost a loved one or, or that person's passed away. And is that all they get? Mm. And I think the stories are horrific. The personal testimonies are horrific. And, and a lot of them are truly unique as well as to why people chose to take the vaccine. But overall, every, you know, people were coerced. They were gaslighted. They were manipulated. And the injured now are being further gaslighted because our NHS and our system is making it incredibly difficult for them to, to be acknowledged as to be vaccine damaged. Um, and we're seeing like an inversion of the statistics of what we saw during COVID was a massive inflation. You know, I think a freedom of information request states that 6,000 people died of COVID only. Now we don't need to get into the PCR test or anything like that. I think people know my personal views, but that's the stat. Although they're still pushing 178,000, I believe, um, after the after 28 days after a positive test. That's the figure they're going by. And you could have been hit by a bus or died of, uh, of an awful disease, a chronic disease that you've had 
or, or a heart attack that's nothing to do with COVID, but you're put down as a COVID statistic. And what we're seeing now, after that exaggeration, we're seeing an inversion of that with the um, the damage statistics, you know, the, the adverse drug reactions, the ADRs, um, and they're making it very, very difficult. We're relying on a self-reporting system um, via MHRA that's being suppressed in GP surgeries um, for these statistics. Um, and over 470,000 reports have been made in the, in the UK alone. And that's, what, less than 10% of the true figure? Um, so giving a voice to these people and humanizing the statistics and it's it's just it's awful listening to what some of these people have been through and um sorry that's all right you've just uh, sensed it you've actually you've mm. you've been the one who's organizing um, with them and I I'll, I'll tell you what I I've interviewed a bunch of um, the people that were in safe and effective John Watt Alex Mitchell Vicky Spit Charlotte Wright um, and I, I was able to sort of put it away in a box as work when interviewing them and then when I watched safe and effective I was a blubbering mess for the whole thing because it is yeah. it's so serious what we are trying to do um, we're just trying to save lives or do something for people that have had their lives destroyed and have had no help. That's yeah. Nice. Yeah. And I think look, with this as well, it's got a very, very clear message. Like I say, the aim is to change the public perception, to reach the community. There's people that might not know that they're even injured um, and not through fear mongering either. And I think this is where, you know, your diehard activists might criticize and they have this attitude of, well, we told them or we warned them and this is the result. And that, for me, is like I said. I think I said before. It's a human. It's a humanitarian crisis that we're in, and I'm a humanitarian. And I don't think you can call yourself a humanitarian if you don't look at this with compassion and empathy and want to unite people. And what it is, it is difficult because I understand the frustration with some who campaigned before the rollout who said this is going to happen. You've had expert scientists and doctors that have been discredited for, for questioning the, the vaccine that I understand people don't like it called a vaccine either, but for the sake of this, the success of this campaign, there's certain things that I've acknowledged that I need to do personally. Um, and my priority is giving a platform, giving a voice to the injured and bereaved and a public platform. So we have six um, public events. Some will be smaller than others, others, some of majority about community outreach where we'll be leafleting um, and engaging with the community. Um, and then we'll have some larger ones on the weekends. We've got three Saturday, um, three Saturday rallies and three weekday rallies. Um, but obviously London on the 21st of January is I'm hoping will be bigger and more effective than even the rally that I organized last year for the NHS 100K. Well, I mean, the with the NHS 100K, we were just trying to stop something that was coming yeah. up, and and we did. I mean, I have no idea whether it was all a bluff all along or what, but it, yeah, we did stop it. And the fact is, it didn't happen for the care workers. The care workers did get fired, so that shows you the difference. Well, I think that's why we say I don't think it was a bluff. I think they were yeah. just so scared they were going to lose so many staff. They really thought 
I've I've had some really interesting conversations with with medical professionals and one psychiatrist who said to me about you know the psychology behind people going and taking a vaccine based on the advice that they were seeing on the on the BBC and following the science. Um, there's a lot of it was based on fear of punishment, fear of losing something that you were used to having. You can't travel. You you will lose your job. There's a huge amount in that and the gaslighting um with it it's just it's just awful that these people every single one of them every single one of them thought they were doing it for the right reasons and for the safety of their family and for the safety of others and whether it's because they they did it because they wanted to go on holiday they trusted their government and we know that we have been lied to on a colossal scale and i think about so many things there's so many different things that we need to fight against still like i was talking about the legislation but this is so important that the injured and bereaved get the acknowledgement that they deserve that we humanize these statistics and that we get the government to acknowledge it as well and we get the mainstream media to stop suppressing the truth mm. and i've you know i'm very passionate about the truth and i hate the fact that there's a lot of there's so much emotion in this as well we're dealing with people who've lost loved ones people have lost their lives because they thought that they were doing the right thing and we cannot blame those people for doing what they did because actually when you look at the amount of awake people um there's a lot that have complied to various things you know call themselves awake but well, you know john has has said use the word aware he really doesn't like the word awake and I think that's coming from somebody who as you say thought they were doing the right thing and and I think it must be so it must spin your head to be one of these people to either have something happen to yourself or lose the love of your life and then you're suddenly thrust into a circle with um with people who like let's be honest some some of the people in the freedom movement are pretty off the wall um and and it makes sense to bring it back down to earth and i think i do think that you know john would have been classed as someone who wasn't awake because he went and got and got jabbed um and and he points out that's not fair we need to say you're aware of the problem um, yeah because it's, it is divisive i find it a very divisive word it's actually. it's in, it's it's extremely divisive and this is why it's called truth be told we want to like i say put it the the truth needs to be heard about what's going on and i and i'd love to be able to say that we can actually get the acknowledgement that we're striving for it's not just going to take one campaign to do it this is a, is effectively a baby step uh, but I do think a public message needs to be sent. And that's why we're choosing to do some of these rallies. And, and London will will be big. We've got some plans. We've got things that we've never done before. Um, but we have to do that with respect, with empathy and with compassion. And with, I mean, John's amazing. I've had so many conversations with him and he's so strong despite his injury. And for so many people I've spoken to that are willing to come and speak out in public, knowing that there's people in the freedom movement um, that take the attitude of, well, we told you so. Mm. And this is why I draw a line and say, if you're not a humanitarian at this point, then I don't think that you ever will be. And perhaps there's reasons, you know, the reasons that people do things is questionable. We we know that. And there's people that have had question marks over me, but I don't care what people think because I think I've done enough 
you know, to show that I genuinely care. I, I care about people. I'm not doing this to use anyone as a poster, you know, poster boy, poster girl, whatever. That's what the mainstream media do. And we need to counter that. But people genuinely don't know because there are people out there that do rely on the mainstream media on papers on whatever the died suddenly narrative is um it's growing old you know the sudden adult death syndrome they have probably themselves started to shatter their own narrative with such nonsense because they really do believe that the masses of the general public are stupid um and doing outreach in the community and staying on point and talking about this with people you know, the point is to have them asking questions at least. And we're probably going to be speaking to a lot of people who have had three, four, five jabs. And you cannot go into that and start calling it a poison or so. It, I, it doesn't matter what your personal view is. These people need help and they need acknowledgement. Um, and the truth needs to be heard. And that's their voices. So I suspect it will be very very powerful and i just ask that people are compassionate and do have empathy because these people were gaslighted they were lied to they were coerced they were you know like i say there, there was a fear of some kind of punishment if they didn't follow this particular mandate or rule um and and the, it's the science the pfizer science for example the adverse reactions you know the the, the data drop in march of this year we knew we had experts, we had scientists, they looked at the technology. You had Robert Malone, who invented mRNA, you know, questioning this from the very beginning, saying this was never meant for humans, it's going to be dangerous, and, and so on. And it was completely suppressed. And some people can't believe how those who chose to be vaccinated didn't know. Well, they didn't know because of mass censorship. They didn't know because they're being lied to on the daily basis. They didn't know because the figures were being inflated ridiculously. You know, thousands of new deaths per day in you know the peak of this doomsday reporting, and it was a lie. And what would you do if you were if you were very trusting as a person? I think, and this is why we need to be compassionate and have empathy, because I. I just because we're, you know, well, I say we're critical thinkers, just because we knew something that someone else didn't doesn't mean that you're necessarily a more intelligent person. You might just be less trusting. It's also the depths of horror of the vaccine damage payment scheme and just how how much these people have been fobbed off, because there's all sorts of reasons you could suffer misfortune at that at, at the hands of the government in one way or another. Accidents happen. Um, and there are schemes to help. This is what we pay our taxes for, or part of it. I'm not exactly a fan of taxation at all. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, but um, but there we go. But but that's something that that I would say to any of these people who say, "Well, you know, we told you so. You get what you deserve." Is like, have you seen how little help these people are getting? They can never work again. And there's no money for them. They have to battle for a solid year. And then the payment that they get at the end of that year pretty much just recoups the last year. That's all it does. This is a, exactly. a really serious fight. And for those people that do that do take that attitude, you know, each their own. Ha have, have whatever opinion you want. But you would be, if you literally said, we told them and we warned you and it's your own fault. If you take that attitude, you are 
in my opinion, much like the people that are doing this to them. And we're the ones, we need to keep our humanity. They're the ones that, that say things like that. They don't care. We need, we need to be the ones, the freedom movement, we need to be the ones that maintain our humanity. Uh, and, and like I say, have that compassion and think we do care about people. That's why, that's why we need to do this because the truth, the, the suppression of the science around uh, the vaccine itself, you know, I've heard Mike Eden's, um, I've just released something. There's many, many doctors that are, um, are speaking out saying that, you know, there is fraud. We need the evidence of that. You've got Brooke Jackson, who worked on the trials in Pfizer in Texas. She lasted 18 days before she was fired because she wasn't the right fit, because she questioned the way the trials were run. You know, they were unblinded, for example, which for Mastra is very unusual. Um, the science, again, the data was manipulated. They couldn't record all of the adverse events because they either intentionally so, or, you know, people were being, you know, moved off trials without actually collecting the data from them and what happened to those people. So there's there's a lot to it. There's a lot around it, but these, the big pharma and the likes of Bill Gates and the BBC have lied to people. Physicians have even been lied to, of course, as you know, because we've had suppression again in it, doctors and GPs. They don't seem to question their CEOs and, you know, why not? Why are they suppressing the MHRA self-reporting yellow card scheme? You know, and my mother was a member of her patient participation group and she got thrown out because she asked the GP why they weren't encouraging people to report adverse events to the yellow card scheme. Uh, and she was, I can't remember what reason they gave her, but this is another thing people need to do because this is going to be a bottom up change, not top down. We can't rely on our government to do what's right for the people. We need to force them with lots of different action, petitioning and getting discussions in parliament, taking legal actions, change the vaccine damage payment scheme, all of this stuff, it needs to be done. But this public message, I think, is what's going to piss off the government and the BBC. And it, it worked before, so I'm hoping it works again. I, I really hope so as well, because we're in a we're in a very weird point at the moment, um, you know, with lockdowns having disappeared for quite a long time, apart from this weird Oxford thing that's coming on the horizon. But basically, people like you and me got used to the fact that we were in a wartime situation throughout 2020 and 2021. It was basically like action stations pretty much permanently waking up. How on earth are we going to save the world? Um, and obviously the other side were acting like it was a war as well, a war against this horrible, deadly virus. Um, but now they're not acting like that anymore. There's, there's like, oh no, the war's over there in Russia, Ukraine. And what it, what I've, I've always been worried about it, making people on our side act as if there's no war anymore when it's, it's more serious than it's ever been or it's just as serious as when we were in lockdown we're still in exactly the same war that we were in that's part of the reason we've seen numbers fall is because some people genuinely were just fighting against the fact that their human rights were being restricted or they were losing you know um certain freedoms but literally you were losing freedoms like you're you know being told you're in a lockdown the pub's not open and um, there, there were probably many many people who thought that it would be over when the two years was up when the when the covid legislation the emergency measures were were over and done 
that is part of the reason why we've seen less numbers. And I think maybe again, um, it's for some it's unfathomable. Like how how do you not know that that wasn't it wasn't just about that? You know, somebody some people need to be held accountable for what's happened as well. That's another step. That's another action that needs to take place. But they're not even acknowledging the truth yet specifically of the of the damage done by the vaccine and still being done they want to jab six month olds and i can't in good conscience sit by and not act on something when i don't think we're at the point where we can scrap that because they haven't acknowledged the truth of this so let's do everything we possibly can that's why i say it's a baby step but there are a lot of people that think it was over that only came out because they couldn't go down the pub or you know they were might have been arrested for having a party that they shouldn't have been having in someone's house you know so we, we we do rely on people like you you know to get the message out there the independent media um i hate that we seem to be talking in echo chamber quite a lot um especially when it comes to spreading this awareness but this is why i'm working so hard on this campaign to work with people who are a bit more mainstream that have a bit more of a public platform and a profile i don't think we want to get into elon musk <laughs> so i've got no idea about what people's opinion of oh, there's a massive question mark over him for me but right now we're seeing a lot less censorship on twitter i was banned from twitter twice in 2020 and 2021 because of piers morgan but i'm not now you know i've got i've got the campaign is on is on twitter and i will be putting as much out as i can you know i'm not going to thank elon musk but something's something's changed um, and I think it's the fear of some of these people that know that they, they've committed a crime. And I do think that people are scared. I do think this is why the great backtrack started to happen in the spring of this year. You know, with Rishi Sunak, oh, maybe we shouldn't have locked everyone. Maybe, maybe we didn't question the science. And then they blame SAGE. Oh, no cabinet minister, no cabinet member was in the SAGE meetings. I beg to differ because I read the minutes. And they redacted so much and they redacted members of parliament that were in that meeting. And I think that you you knew, but someday someone has to be held accountable. But for now, I would just, you know, people, I would like people to see that we need would to unite vaccinated and unvaccinated together to shine a light on this horrific, unprecedented, harmful jab that that is being still being rolled out and potentially going to be given to six month olds, which I don't know how anyone, I don't know how anyone, even relying on government statistics, which as I say are suppressed, even based on those statistics, this vaccine needs to be stopped. Yeah, absolutely. What more damage needs to be done for people to even someone who thinks that we're crazy conspiracy theorists how can we not unite and agree on this one issue yeah and i and i think you're very good at picking how we should uh how we should direct our focus so i'm really looking forward to january but i want to know how people that are listening to this can help out throughout the whole month because that is the idea it's not it's not just us yeah. be doing this you get involved too so how do they do that well, I'm taking it a little bit different. So, you know, the, a lot of the rallies I've done over the last couple of years, it's just been sort of, this is the message we want to send. Let's go make some noise. We've done, you know, like I said, with the NHS one was a bit different. You know, we've had speakers, we've done various different things, or we've just marched. We had a COVID vaccine victim march in July. 
But with this, the reason I've chosen particular locations and days, so we're all over the UK, we've got Sheffield on the 3rd of January, Edinburgh on the 7th of January, Birmingham on the 14th of January, Bristol on the 20th of January, uh, London on the 21st of January, um, and then Manchester at the end of the month on the 31st. Um, so all of these, aside from London, will be hugely focused on community outreach, not attending with a placard and shouting freedom for no reason. Um, so what we're asking is people who um, who do come along, we've got Vaccine Injured and Bereaved speaking at every single one of them, will be set up to do that. So we will want the public and whoever attends to listen um, to, the, to the Vaccine Injured and Bereaved speaking. And then we'll follow that with um, community outreach. And if we get the numbers, we, you know, I'm quite good at thinking last minute, if I get a few thousand people, uh, how can I get leaflets to everybody to go and hand out? But we're asking people to really get involved in, in speaking to the community. So if people have that compassion and empathy, they they enjoy speaking to the public, please come along to one of these events. Um, London's going to be huge. There's no obligation there for people to you know, be handing out leaflets because I think the numbers are going to be such that it might not be possible. We've got a huge, we've got something planned and I don't want to talk about it for various reasons. Um, and I, you know, a few people know about it, but, you know, with Safe and Effective, the film coming out in October, I think it was, there's going to be something happening, which is more of a message to the mainstream and the government. Um, but yeah, and we'll be, we'll be holding a procession on that day but more details to come but if people want to have a look it's um there everything's on twitter um it's coffee leaks c-v-v-a-m i can share it with you nick so you can get it but or go to my website coffee leaks and send me an email if you want to volunteer or get involved because we do need people to unite under this common cause against this common enemy because i think this is one step towards more of a mass awakening about the truth I think so because you're right that there's no there's not really any debate here especially when you see safe and effective and um what you what you're talking about with personalizing it it's so it's so so crucial people don't react to statistics but by telling people's stories it completely changes it. Mm. Yeah. yeah exactly. It, it it's going to be good it's going to be hard work because I'm traveling to all of the locations and we, you know we've got 100,000 leaflets we've got um 20 or 30,000 leaflets from a particular group, um, one of the injured and bereavement groups. So yeah, we're working with a lot of people and it has gone global. And I am having conversations with, you know, uh, groups around the world, like Global Jab Injuries and um, someone from Can We Talk About It was on a Zoom I was on last night and we've got Real Not Rare in the USA supporting. So it's just, I think it's going to be good, but I would really, really stress to people that we, this is necessary. If we're going to win anything, um, it's necessary for us to leave our frustrations now, try and figure out in your own mind how you can do that, not take this we told you so attitude uh, and and support these these people because they are uniting with us. I'm a I'm I've been an activist, I've campaigned about it, I've been a you know, leading rallies in London and across the UK for a good few years now and doing a lot more than that um with some of the other work I've done and they're working with me you've got the injured and bereaved you know trusting us and trusting me to do what needs to be done so I just I really hope it gets uh, the attention that it deserves 
and that we can stick it to the mainstream media and to the government in some way. Well, I can't wait because it's always great helping you out on uh, on these crusades. And it's yeah. been... <laughs> not that easy to work with sometimes. Bit of pressure <laughs> and stress, but you know, it's it's because I'm such a perfectionist as well. And I think, but I, I'm lo- I'm learning to not be such a control freak about stuff because, but I'm very. Um, this it's very important that this stays credible. You know, we we use certain language that I might not ordinarily use. It, it's very very important that we keep this on point singular message we're not diluting it with anything else and like the nhs rally i do see it being um this and this isn't just one rally remember this is a whole month of campaigning with some really amazing supporters so there's a lot more to come from tomorrow um i don't know when this is gonna air this but you know happy new year Mm -hmm. to everyone i'll be out on the road already um it's gonna be good